This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to Alyssa Explains It All. I am joining you from my couch, which is not usually where I'm doing these intros because normally I would be um, exhausted, wrung dry like a towel. And now I have a little bit more time to relax and chill out because I have quit my full-time job. And I'm very excited about it. It's a little bit scary. Um, but I decided that I wanted to really dedicate my time to doing things like the podcast, finishing my sex coaching certification, and just doing things that I enjoy. <laughs> and I did not enjoy a corporate job. I don't think I've ever enjoyed a corporate job. And my God, did I try. So it's the end of an era, but I feel much better already. It feels crazy to be done with it because I think when you're in college and you're the only thing that you can see for yourself is like, okay, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to work in an office and then I'm going to, I don't know, you want to find those kinds of jobs that are like a ladder moving up, like something that is the first step, the second step, the third step, whatever. And when you leave a corporate job and you decide you're going to do something like freelance, then there is no ladder. And it's actually kind of like, um, do you remember going to the carnivals and there's that ride where it's like a it's a circle but with walls and then you stand up on the on the on the side and then the thing moves really really fast so you're stuck to the side of the wall. I feel like that's what freelancing is like. So, I signed up for that. <laughs> and it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm actually very excited. <laughs> I'm watching producer Matt cracking up. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Well, you were describing a Gravitron is what yeah. the ride was called. <laughs> I've literally, I don't know if I've ever seen the name of that ride. Literally someone asked me today, like how things are going. And I'm like, you know how it is always working, terrified about if I'm making enough money, surviving by the skin of my teeth every day. Right. right. The huge. Huge. <laughs> the huge. But you know what? Like waking up on Monday yesterday, knowing that I 
didn't have to like check Slack or an email that was going to like tell me I was behind on something or I had like a project to do this week that I did not have time to do or whatever it might be. Knowing that I don't have anyone on my ass about really anything is amazing. Yeah. And And that just is worth it. And you're an equipped person to do it. Like, like I, (laughs) there's a part of me that like has as stressed out as I am constantly and as much as of a workaholic I've become since leaving my job. There's that part of me. It's like, yeah, but I feel like this joy and satisfaction that I was never receiving in any other Mm -hmm. job. And like part of that makes me want to be like everybody, like everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I found the secret, but like not everybody's equipped for it. So like I'm not constantly trying to convince every human being that I know, like you should quit your job and give it a shot. But like you would be one of the few people I would have been like, if if we had gotten like six months into this show and you were still working at that job, I'd be like, come on, like, yeah. <laughs> like let let's let, save up some cash and take a jump and yeah, and see yeah. what what you can do because you've got you've got a good head start already, and yeah. I think forty hours of being miserable, which that's the thing. My parents were like, well, why can't you do the freelance stuff? and work the normal job and then you have that job security it's just you know they're like it's just 40 hours i'm like but it's not just 40 hours like because the 40 hours leaves you in an emotional state where you don't want to do a damn thing afterwards so like ultimately it's sucking about 55 to 60 hours out of your your ability to focus on what you're passionate about (laughs) Totally. And call me crazy, but I don't really want to work more than 40 hours a week. And so if you're telling me that I'm going to do my full-time thing for 40 hours a week and then my part-time thing for another 20, I don't really want to work 60 hours a week just to like end up hating the thing that I love because I'm so strapped trying to do both. Yeah. And I was just getting so tired and so burnt out. Like I was like, this is not worth it. It's just not worth it. And corporations don't care about you. So No, you're just a number. That's that's why I'm very excited that I think my dad is retiring sooner <gasps> rather than later. Yay! Um, just because it's like, man, you're just a number to them. And, and mm-hmm. they're telling him the same thing they told me at my job. And I'm sure the same thing they led you to believe at your job, which is mm-hmm. that they make you feel like, no, you're irreplaceable. If you leave, like you're going to be hurting all of your coworkers and and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, they'll find someone else. You know what's funny? When I quit my job, that they did not have that attitude at all. They did not give a – my boss was literally like – I called her. This was after like a lot of conversations about how they were asking me to do essentially three jobs and pay me for one. And so this was, it was just not a surprise to her. So when I called her and told her that I was putting in my two weeks, she was like, okay, send an email to HR. And I was like, yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> so, so that didn't happen with my last job. Mm-hmm. Although my former bosses... So not the ones that I currently had, the ones who had quit before me, mm-hmm. when when they found out that I had quit, reached out to me and was like, it's about time. Really? <laughs> we, yeah. They were like, I'm glad you like gambled on yourself, which was really cool, like that they came out of the woodwork to be like, we're very, very totally. glad that you left. Um, but the thing that you experienced is. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh my when I was a freshman in high school, my parents said that I had to do a sport. Um, so I went with the swimming team because I figured like I like swimming. Like how hard <laughs> could this be? And like 
throughout the first like month and a half where it's just swim practice, like three mm-hmm. days a week, like people would constantly try to quit the team and the coach would bring them into his office and he would like really give them a pep talk. And then like nine times out of 10, they would decide to stay on the team. And I never felt like quitting. I never until I did the first track meet or the first swim meet. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I did. I got disqualified in every competition. I was so <laughs> bad. I was like not prepared for it. And I felt so embarrassed. I walked into the coach's office and said, I think I'm going to quit the team. And he just said, well, you tried the best you could. <laughs> just like set me, up, set me on my way. Made zero effort to try to change I, my mind. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I, I think I... Had I had a conversation with the track coach that I went to once one single meet of, I'm sure it would have been a similar thing. That's yeah. just, listen, we know our strengths and um, athletics might not be one of them, but we're pretty good at the podcasting stuff. Yeah, we're pretty good at podcast. I actually, if I could go back to high school and literally do anything over again, I think I would have tried track instead of swim. I think I would really? have been good because I would be good at sprinting. Like I'm mm-hmm. a good sprinter. I couldn't do like a mile. Mm-hmm. When we did track, like when I did track for one single day, <laughs> <laughs> one single day, I showed up and they were like, okay, we're going to do a warm up. We're going to run two miles around like this whole, I was like, warm up, yeah. warm up. That's more than I've done in a year combined. Yeah. Warm up. No, definitely not. Well, here's the thing. Our future might not be olympic runners or swimmers i don't i don't see that being in our future being being podcasters or or producers of other content i i could see as a feasible thing other possible feasible thing that i wasn't aware was an option porn historian (gasps) the way that i saw that job title come up on my screen and i said we need to we need to we need to contact this woman there's a documentary called money shot and i watched it with Mr. John Franklin. And as we were watching it, I was just taking like a ton of notes on all the people that came up. And the second that I saw Noelle Purdue come up on my screen and her title was Porn Historian, I said, bitch. And I found her on Instagram immediately and I DM'd her immediately. And I was like, listen, when I see people that are like that level of well-versed in something like this, and you'll see when you listen, she's so so well-versed in the entire industry, but also she's just so smart. Like every time she would open her mouth, I'm like, damn, she said that way better than I ever could. <laughs> and so when I was reaching out to her, I was like, I got to convince her that she needs to come on my pleb of a podcast. Got to convince her. <laughs> it's worth her time. <laughs> and I had a really nice conversation with her. We talked a lot about like the Mind Geek Pornhub situation. Um, which if you haven't seen Money Shot, you should because it's crazy. Um, and it's also kind of interesting to hear the perspective of someone who worked for Pornhub, which she worked technically for MindGeek, but taking a neutral stance, doing a documentary like that makes it very easy for people to oppose pornography, take the negative side, whatever. I think sometimes I forget that like there are other people that want to have conversations with me about porn and not be so affected by like using the words, using the word porn or whatever. And she just like, it's it's so nice to talk to people who will just sort of let that fly off the tongue as easily as Matt and I could. Yes. <laughs> anyway, without further ado, Noelle Purdue. Hello, Noelle. Hi, how are you? 
I am doing all right. A little bit of a tiring weekend, but we're here today and I'm so excited to talk to you. The second that I saw you on the Money Shot documentary, I was like, where's our Instagram? We have to talk. <laughs> Thank you. Luckily, I'm I'm one of few participants that still has their Instagram up still. I've been seeing that. Everyone's like getting um, banned over and yeah. over and over again, even their backup accounts. Yeah. Is, do you think it's because of the documentary that people are like reporting them or do you think it's like the app itself? I mean, Instagram has been notorious in the adult industry yeah. for banning people for ridiculous reasons, not giving any reasons. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say kind of what came first, chicken or the egg. But it's it's hard not to think that it's related, especially, you know, Gwen Adora has had multiple accounts removed for bullshit reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but Suzanne Hillinger, the, the document, the director of the documentary also had her, you know, very personal Instagram account removed. Um, yeah, the director. And, and then uh, she knew somebody at Instagram who put through like a friends and family request and then Mm -hmm. so her Instagram was reinstated and then the next day was deleted again wow yeah so it's it's hard not to think that it's connected especially with that yeah yeah I I've had my account reported before but I've never had it removed but I'm I try really hard not to use any like explicit terms Mm. um, whenever I do talk about sex ed I wonder if it's people reporting those accounts that like draws the attention because obviously like the app the app always leans towards people being removed which sucks yeah um but it must be that first ask questions later right Exactly. Exactly. Well, I should give some background on who you are and why I reached out to you. <laughs> we Sorry. immediately got into like the... We really got you know, into it. Yeah. It's hard not to. It really is hard not to. But so you are a writer, you are a porn historian, an mm-hmm. ex-employee of Pornhub. You've also written porn and produced porn before. Mm-hmm. And I was reading some of your pieces that you had written kind of about the industry, apps in the industry. So you were like super well-versed in everything kind of like sex work and a sex work adjacent which is cool how did you get here like how did it come to be that you became so interested in sexuality and porn and like what was the journey mm. yeah I definitely and I and I will say I I talk a lot about porn industry so I do talk a lot about sex work but I do like to say that if you want an expert on sex work, you should talk to a, somebody who is actively a sex worker. Yes. Um, but if you want to talk about- And we have about, a whole bunch of episodes yes. of sex workers on this as well. So if yeah, anybody wants that perspective, we have that as well. Yes. Yeah. So that's just my PSA for anybody listening. Totally. But if you want to talk about the boring aspects of sex work, <laughs> I'm your girl. <laughs> Understood. The algorithms, the, the boring legislation history- that's yeah. what I like. Um, Love it. But, Love it. But yeah, so I, I've i been in the adult industry for, I guess, 10 years. Um, I got started at MindGeek because I'd been writing for various, and MindGeek owns Pornhub, um, and I'd been writing for I guess like erotica sites, um, a bunch of like quote unquote sugar dating sites, I've been writing in the industry for a little bit. Um, and then I was at, at that point, I was working as a grant writer and also a like a shock girl at a strip club. And I was like, you know, I this is this is 
boring. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I always loved porn, um, or mm-hmm. I thought porn was really interesting. And mm-hmm. I also used to be a stand-up comedian, and I love porn parodies. I think that porn parodies are like chef's kiss yeah. <laughs> as a genre of comedy. I think that it's just so fun and goofy, and you can get away with with a lot because people are so willing to suspend their disbelief when mm-hmm. something's explicit for some reason. You can really yeah. just do whatever you want and people are down. Um, so I, I was like, oh, that would be so fun to write porn parodies. So I just Googled, is porn scriptwriter like a job? Mm-hmm. And it was, and I, I applied and, and I sent over some of my work and and I've been kind of doing that or and and I did that for a few years and now I kind of work as more of like a mainstream writer writing about mm-hmm. the porn industry writing about history I I'm writing a book right now on the history of online moderation I saw that's so mm-hmm. exciting and you got a grant for that like recently right Yeah very like I think the week before Money Shot came out I got that's- Awesome. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. That's huge. Thank you. Um, when are you, when is that book supposed to come out? I don't know yet. I'm, I just got the grant for the research and writing aspect. So right now I'm kind of shopping around for an agent or a publisher, um, and to work with kind of because it's still early days. So if they want to kind of help shape what it could look like, I'm really open to that. Um, so I'm not sure, hopefully in the next, you know, couple of years. Awesome. I'm so excited for you and I'm Thank already you. very excited to read it. I'm, I appreciate the um, sort of nuts and bolts view of things like the sex industry because I think it also sort of, it reminds you that this is like a part of our everyday life without it being very trivializing. Um, so presenting the information in in any way like that, I think is really helpful. Thank um, you. Yeah, I, I definitely try to kind of neutralize it as much as possible. I think it's really difficult to have conversations when when we're really focusing on on that kind of knee-jerk emotion that that it brings up in people even though that's so inevitable yeah I agree and I think it's a fine line to walk um, especially when you're doing things on like apps and things Mm. because I I would very much like to use anatomically correct words and like really speak plainly about what I want to say, but there's a little bit of like dancing around it that will allow for the, that kind of content to exist mm-hmm. on those platforms. I've even seen like a ton of my mutuals who are like sex educators get removed from these apps simply because they're using anatomically correct terms. Yeah, And so that's really frustrating, but I think there's a part of it too that when you, when you neutralize it a little bit, it makes it a little bit easier for people to digest like, and, and that's great. I want people to get to a point where they can just re- refer to any of these sort of like sex adjacent topics and and be fine with it. We're like nowhere near that. No. But <laughs> no, we're not. It's, it's a beautiful pipe dream that I have. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so did you grow up, if you're comfortable talking about this, did you grow up in a household that was like relatively open or was this a journey that you started after you left your like home? Um, that's a great question. My parents are very progressive, very, um, just wonderful, really kind of excited about my work. We're really mm-hmm. have, have read a number of my articles. Um, but definitely sex was not a topic when I was growing up. Um, 
at all. Uh, <laughs> I remember my my one and only sex education conversation happened when I was like late into my teens. I had mm-hmm. already I'd been having sex, and yeah. um, I remember I was at the table and just like working on something and my mom was like kind of hovering nearby really weirdly (laughs) and I was like hey what's what's up (laughs) and hey yeah hey hey um yes and and so she kind of like came up and was like so they um they teach you about stuff in school right and I was like they they do Mm. yes and yes they were like and and then she was like like condoms and I was like yes we've covered that and then she was like okay great and then she like (laughs) scooted out of there oh god like the relief of her just being able to be like like condoms right and then just sprint out of the room I'm sure she was like okay we did it it was really just like a do we have the uh, like? Is somebody in your life covering the bases? Yes. Like, are we good? Are Thank we good? God. <laughs> I'm out of here. God bless. <laughs> and I think I mean I think that that's kind of where most people are coming from. I I don't I I I don't know anybody actually that had parents in you know the 90s that were having like full-on talks about like consent and sexuality and pornography porn literacy you know that just really wasn't happening so yeah so that was my that was my familial introduction I feel like your experience like is pretty pretty common that was kind of my experience too but what's funny is when I ask my mom like do you remember giving me any sort of conversation about sex even like baseline birds and the bees how to not get pregnant type of thing she says yes and I'm like ah that's weird. I don't remember that literally <laughs> at like, all. I so feel I like I would have remembered. <laughs> right, right. Or I was so traumatized that my brain was immediately like, let's delete it. Let's yes. delete it and just flush it out. Yeah. I think it was also people certainly are a little bit more on on the on the like sort of ideology that you should be teaching this so that they are not learning from from sources that might not be the best. Yeah, like from um, pornography. I think that's yeah, the big I mean, argument, I think, right now. At, at I, least. And that's even, right. Even that's tricky, though, because even, like, aside aside from any sort of, like, of, like, the sort of allegations and litigation, whatever, that came in money shot, like, mm-hmm. all of the conversation that happened there, porn is entertainment, and it's, performing like there's a part of it that is enjoyable but even when we've had these conversations with um some of of the porn performers they're like you know the questions that my audience was asking them was along the lines of how much of it is fake and how much of it is real right and the answer was some sort of like something related to we are actually having fun and that is real and sometimes like the orgasm is real and sometimes it's not but it actually doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it's meant to be entertaining versus exactly like educational yeah but we don't really have tools outside of outside of that well that's the thing is it's so frustrating because I feel like it's this like very circular conversation um mm-hmm. at least I've found with people who are wringing their hands um because you know oh the children are are learning about sex from pornography 
But then those same people that are wringing their hands are, are the first to start banning uh, comprehensive mm-hmm. sex education in schools, you know? Yep. And, and so I'm like, okay, well, what's the plan here, babes? <laughs> like, right. Like, I'm sorry. Not understanding I the mean, message. Yeah. It's, it's so ridiculous and, or, you know, are absolutely aghast to consider actually sitting their son down and having a frank conversation about porn literacy and, mm-hmm. and consent and talking about, you know, how in porn consent happens before the cameras start rolling and like god forbid those those people you know in saying very annoying things in my email inbox like have an actual conversation with their own children right right i know and i actually i think the first time that i really realized that those conversations the consent conversations happen before like the camera even starts rolling was when i spoke to alexis fox who's been in the industry for a long time i think she has a partnership with brazzers yeah um and she told me that one of the conversations that i had with with really all of the um porn performers was if they felt like pressured to do anything or if they were able to make their own choices and everyone unanimous unanimously said that they were able to make their own choices before during after like it's a very like um collaborative experience it sounds like but she was the one who had said in the beginning there's like a whole document that you kind of run through Mm -hmm. on camera um and at least in like the browsers environment they do it with like legal somewhere in the frame yeah i used um, to write for browsers i'm i'm oh, very no well acquainted that that was the first job that i got script writing um, oh that's so cool so yeah the no list i'm i'm well acquainted with that oh my gosh okay so what 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 are things that are on the no list i'm sure it's like anal has to be on there well i think that it's more like like if you're having a conversation with somebody's agent or somebody directly yeah. it's more like um, going over, you know, the type of scene, um, mm. what they would be interested in, kind of their yeah. their general boundaries for, you know, generally, like if somebody hasn't done an anal scene yet, right. you're probably not going to reach out to them immediately for an anal scene. Um, mm. You can kind of read the room there um, unless, you know, an agent reaches out to you and is like, hey, mm. my client is looking to do, you know, their first anal scene. Um do you have a scene that that you would fit into? Um, But other than that, you know, there's a list, an ongoing list of, you know, people that performers love to work with, people that Mm. performers don't love to work with for whatever reason, you know, there's no questions asked. Um, Mm -hmm. But obviously when you're casting, because I also used to do casting, um, Mm -hmm. and when you're casting, you want to cast people who, really like each other obviously and have chemistry right. and have fun with each other because that's going to translate on screen so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what we would get uh and then mm-hmm. on set um it gets into more the nitty-gritty of like do you like choking do you like to be hit like where on the body do you like to be hit how hard like do you like dirty talk what kind of dirty talk you know getting mm-hmm. into the the details usually would happen on set between the two performers and also like the people in production. Right. I, and I, I wish sometimes that those conversations were a part of what people would watch occasionally, because those are kind of like that consent checklist kind of applies, not kind of, it does apply in real life sex situations too. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've been going through the process of 
getting my certification through ASECT for sex coaching, we have to do these things called SARs. And they basically are, it's like a, a whole weekend where you're watching different types of porn to learn about different types of kinks, what it looks like in different age groups, disabilities, like all uh, sort of the full spectrum as much as they can to sort of acclimate you to what those things look like. And um, so that when you're speaking to people later, you're you've let go of some of any like bias or any like uncomfortable feeling you might have. Um, and one of the things that we watched was a like rape fantasy. Mm-hmm. And that was like, it was tough to watch. However, it started with a consent checklist. And that's the only time I've ever seen it in the beginning of a video. And it made the experience of watching that type of pornography afterwards infinitely more comfortable. Yeah. Like, infinitely. Still not something that like I personally would want to watch, but it is, it is something that people do want to see. And knowing that it was done in that way made me feel so yeah, I love that. And and that's the thing is I think that the industry, because the industry has been put in a position where people are being blamed for mm-hmm. for so much of um like a lack of essentially the adult industry is being blamed for a lack of sex education and and as a result, more people are kind of introducing that into their scenes and making mm-hmm. scenes that show consent explicitly, like the Bree Mills um scene in Money Shot kind of explored that um Mm -hmm. and more people are are kind of trying to to take that on because you know they feel pressured to but ultimately it shouldn't be their responsibility um, unfortunately but but uh, that is that is a something that I've seen kind of shown more and more which is which is nice like I think that it's 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 great to see and it's a great I think I think that the adult industry and sex workers are always kind of leading conversation on conversations on consent so it's nice to kind of show people outside of the industry what that looks like mm-hmm. but ultimately it shouldn't be their responsibility yeah i agree and i've had i think it was sin sage who said that i i asked them if they felt like they were teaching in some way um and i think it was sin who was like i don't even that doesn't even cross my mind even a little bit because that's just simply not her job. Like that's not of like of the things that she's going to do in her work day, educating people is not really one of them. Um, and so it's unfortunate that there's just no comprehensive sex ed and it's, it should be beyond what, what obviously beyond abstinence, that's not sex education. That's literally nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be beyond let's not get pregnant when we don't plan to let's not get STIs when, you know, they can be avoidable. And it should also move into like, how can we have a pleasurable experience that will never happen in a school environment. Mm -hmm. But if that was more accessible to people so that it was beyond the risks of engaging in any sort of sexual activity and into more of like, these are the things that make it more fun for you and more enjoyable for you and your partner and conversations that you can have that make it infinitely easier to, enjoy it would just be so great i agree i also think that the bias of sex sex education being so focused on harm reduction Mm -hmm. i think really reinforces this like shame around sex Mm -hmm. when 
and and this shame around having sex or finding pleasure in sex because that's just not really taught to you as as even a part of it and it's not mm-hmm. taught that like actually this is something t- people do because it's fun yeah and also it should be fun this is a huge conversation that i have so often with with friends where like i definitely feel like as um a gay woman uh mm-hmm. so much of like comp het is is just so often women are aren't taught that sex should be fun like you should enjoy yeah. yourself actually and if mm-hmm. you're not enjoying yourself that's a problem like that's not something that you should just write off as like that's just it is what it is like that that's something that can be explored and you can expect to have a good time with your sexual partner you should expect that yes yeah and there have been surveys that are done where women will say that like they are more than half of the time they are having sex to like satisfy a partner or to check it off a list versus something that they actually want to enjoy Mm -hmm. and I think part of it is that we're not taught what what anatomy we have like any um erotic anatomy like with there are so many women who don't know that the vulva and the vagina are two different things mm-hmm. and they'll just like call call it all one. And there's so much um, – so many nerve endings and so many like amazing parts of the vulva that can be explored to like no end and that's not really a part of the conversation either. Yeah, so I just – I think people are just not thinking about it that much. But yeah. it should be fun. And I think part of it is also there's this whole thing about women taking forever to – come or to orgasm and that being like that being like uh, not achievable Mm -hmm. for for anyone and that's not true and that also doesn't have to be the end game of the sex that you're having either yeah exactly yeah absolutely um so I want to ask a little bit about money shot (laughs) I know that even when you were filming the documentary you're like oh legally I can't say anything about this that and the other thing so we're not going to get into any of like that sort of stuff but while you were working at Pornhub, and this was filmed for the people who haven't seen it yet, this was filmed how long ago? Maybe like a year ago? I think two years ago now. Oh, wow. Almost okay. two years ago. Okay. And you had already left Pornhub at that point? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had, oh, I had been gone for about a year. Okay. Also, on like a completely different note, I was looking through your Instagram and when you had left Pornhub, you did like an Instagram post and you had said something along the lines of like, I am anti-capitalist, so it doesn't make sense for me to continue to work in a capitalist environment. And I just left my full-time job, and I feel very similarly. Oh, my God. When congrats. I saw that, thank it, you. Honestly, it's rough out here, but congrats. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I don't even care because it's so frustrating to be a part of that, like, dynamic mm-hmm. that I, I would rather I would rather just figure it out in a different way. I can't do it. It's too much. And, yeah, and I think that, obviously, you can't exit – capitalism unless you know you right you go out to a field somewhere right maybe in the south of France I've fantasized yes. about it I can't tell, <laughs> say that I haven't but yeah it's, it's really tricky but I think that when I was working with Mind Geek, I feel like mm-hmm. particularly in in sort of the last like year or so where I was really trying to quote-unquote do good um mm-hmm. and I was trying to create mainstream content about the adult industry that helps educate people about the adult industry that helps make it kind of more accessible and humanized and and have like really interesting conversations and be able to show that to people every day I would kind of like wake up and be like you know I I would run the numbers I would run the math of like Mm -hmm. do I do I think that the work I'm doing 
justifies me being here you know and Mm -hmm. or especially like when when we were having so many conversations internally about uh, mandatory verification and I was really pushing that and Mm -hmm. I was kind of getting this feedback of like it's it's gonna happen we're working on it eventually etc etc where Mm -hmm. you know every day I'd be like okay like is me pushing that a little farther today does the math add up that I that I'm still here and You know, and then and then one day I woke up and I was like, the math is no longer. It's not mathing. Yeah. The math's not mathing. And that experience of like of being told over and over again that something is in the works, especially something that's so important and on and like part of a safety regulation Mm -hmm. for people. I'm I can't imagine how frustrating that was, especially then also having all of the people who are sex workers insisting that this is something that needs to happen. Yeah. I can't imagine how frustrating it was to get the same answer over and over again of like, oh, we're working on it. Oh, we're working on it. It's like, are you though? <laughs> well, that was the thing where where I was getting it was so frustrating because I was having these conversations and Pornhub, I think like many other websites that have been around for a while is sort of like a crumbling castle built mm-hmm. on like a like very tall, very wobbly stilts, you know, like, like yes. it was at one point cloned from YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. a decade ago. And they've just sort of been coding on top of that. I see. Okay. Since. And yeah. like, I think a lot of websites um, have that same model where they, yeah. they, the bare bones of the site was written a decade and a half ago by like one guy <laughs> who like nobody has contact with anymore and they've just been kind oh, of God. putting like <laughs> duct tape on it like code yeah. duct tape since like right. I have I used to be a computer programmer um okay. my like I that's my like my educational background Your is in trade, computer science yeah. and mm-hmm. and I've been in a number of positions where like very fancy institutions have brought me in and they're like, okay, here's the deal. (laughs) Only one person (laughs) has the password to one very key element. And I think we, I think that they might be living in Croatia. I've emailed him seven times. He's not responding. So we can't actually fix a major part of the website until he, Uh, like, just like ridiculous stuff. Yeah. So normal. But Pornhub was no different. So I was kind of like, okay, maybe, maybe it's like a really... Maybe it's a Herculean effort to mm-hmm. actually make this policy go through. Maybe they have mm-hmm. to redesign the entire site. Like, that makes sense why it would take a long time. Maybe they have to, like, change every mechanic mm-hmm. internally. So it was really frustrating to, you know, two months after I had left is when mm-hmm. the um, Nick Kristoff piece came out. And, and they changed it within 48 hours of Visa and MasterCard threatening. Visa and MasterCard threatened it, and 48 hours later, it was done, and it was unbelievable to see after after actually, you know, two years of having these conversations. That makes me so angry. That makes me so angry. And for those of you who haven't seen Money Shot, when the Nick Kristoff piece came out, it was all around uh, the potential of sexual exploitation being on Pornhub and not really being uh, monitored or removed in any like timely manner, that sort of thing. 
And then when there were these kind of sexual abuse concerns, payment processors like MasterCard, PayPal started removing their funding, which then affected all of the performers, performers that were using Pornhub as their literal livelihood. And then when they started to remove the payment processors is when they made the changes that people were asking for for literally years. <laughs> yeah, for for 15 years. That's crazy. Yeah. I think I was told once that it's like you have to take a picture of your ID and it's like you have to take a picture of yourself and it's a whole pretty like tight system for the verification now. Well, their verification was always pretty tight. Mm-hmm. The only problem before was that it wasn't mandatory to be verified oh. to upload videos. Got it. You could just have a, an account on Pornhub and mm-hmm. you wouldn't need to be verified in order to upload. Um, but now everybody needs to be verified. So so you okay. have to upload um, identification, personal mm-hmm. information, so it, everything can yeah. be tracked down for you. And, and you have to upload identification for, for anybody who you're uploading a video of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And also frustrating that it took as long as it did, but so necessary for any sort of, when I think about Pornhub, it reminds me of, do you remember forever ago, there was that website, E-Bums World, E-Bums World. (laughs) I don't know if I remember that. Do you remember that? Okay. So it was like, it, it was like a random website that with the most random clips on it. And they were all sort of meant to be like funny, like stupid, funny clips, but you could find literally anything on there. There was no regulation whatsoever. And I feel like even like as a user, the time period between now, like what Pornhub looks like now versus Mm -hmm. what it looked like, whatever, five years ago, you can tell there's like a little bit, it looks more official like it looks like tightened up (laughs) it's all the duct tape they're putting on there (laughs) yeah exactly i'm sure it's like all i imagine is like someone is taking like a popsicle stick and duct duct taking duct what duct taping it around like a giant hard drive and they're like this is probably fine that is i i swear (laughs) to god like 92 percent of websites that is what's happening Uh... that is what's happening we it's just like it's so funny to think about and stressful and very stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, 100%. That's so wild. Just every time I feel like there are always, like, security breaches and then the website's yeah. like, we have no idea how this happened. <laughs> and I'm like, babes, I, I, know, I know it's, like, three guys back there, like, yeah. in sweatpants, just, just, like, talking shit. Like, don't yeah. lie to me. <laughs> come on, come on. And it also feels like, I don't know if they've changed anything now, but it seems like they were just like understaffed for what what needed to be done. Like there was a fraction of the people reviewing all of the videos that were coming through the website versus like if you were to compare it to like Facebook, obviously that's a humongous giant company that employs a ton of people. Pornhub is like one of the most one of the most visited websites on the internet, period. So like I feel like they could build a little bit more in the the people who are monitoring all of these videos. I mean, I will say interesting that you bring up Facebook because Facebook mm-hmm. has many, many, many times more mm-hmm. uh, child sexual assault material. Yes, wait, uh, I saw that. They that was like very briefly, like it was so brief. Over. It was really, un- yeah, that was something that I I really wanted them to get into more because yeah. I think that's sort of like the crux of the issue and mm-hmm. and what a lot of people are are frustrated by um mm-hmm. is Facebook um 
like th- there was a study and Facebook had, you know, an unbelievably large um, amount of child sexual assault material, significantly more than Pornhub ever has by, by like, I, I don't want to cite an exact number, but just a ridiculous amount more. You can look it up. And yeah. actually, um, and this is also the thing is, is for Money Shot, um, the term sex trafficking, um, mm-hmm. quote unquote, gets thrown around a lot when people are referring to child sexual abuse materials. Mm-hmm. Sex trafficking actually happens on Facebook. There have been a number of right. studies about that, of like there's actually the un- very horrifying sale of children into the sex trade happening on Facebook. That's well documented. So it's something where it's just frustrating because nobody in the adult industry thinks that child sexual abuse materials and child trafficking and sex trafficking aren't Mm -hmm. issues. It's just that we know enough to say, why isn't anybody talking about Facebook? Why isn't anybody talking about Twitter? Why isn't anybody talking about Reddit? Like these these platforms that have way more of this happening, way, mm-hmm. way more. And actually, the the sex trafficking itself is happening on these platforms. And, you know, where where's the campaign for that? Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's because people want to demonize every single part of porn well, exactly. literally all the time. Well, that's the and answer. That's, that's what – that's yeah. the thing is, like, that's that's the argument. And then and – then, mm-hmm you know, people come back at us saying like, well, don't you care about this? And it's like, actually, it's because we care about this that we're frustrated because, you know, we've all actually done our research and we know the numbers. Right. Right. If you care about the actual problem, like if you care about the trafficking and you care about the children, you would be doing this on a much different scale on platforms that are hosting it way more than Pornhub is. But it's really convenient to be able to marry something that is already so widely demonized Mm -hmm. to this really horrible crime. And I think I saw you, you had said either in an article or on your Instagram somewhere that when these documentaries are representing a neutral view, it like sort of defeats the whole purpose because you're already representing this like demonized um, category of entertainment. So when you're neutral, you're not really helping at all like it's just well I think it's very very difficult to present something neutrally to an audience that already has a bias Mm -hmm. where if it if it's presented neutrally people will read in their own bias Mm -hmm. yeah for any subject and and something like pornography where there's bias on on such a large scale that's my that's my concern is is you know journalism should be balanced I agree Mm -hmm. however if you're presenting something as as completely neutral, again, to an audience that already has, is bringing in bias and projecting it onto the, the piece of media, they're likely going to walk away with with only the aspects that support their own bias. Right. You know? Right. That's my concern, at least. Yeah, I totally get that. And I completely agree. So when you watched Money Shot, did you feel like both sides were represented in a way that gave kind of like the the neutral space I feel very mixed about it in, mm-hmm. and I I spoke about this I think on on Twitter where I have criticisms of the documentary where where I feel like there's so much more to say mm-hmm. where like we kind of went over where certain things were kind of 
only touched on briefly or weren't really explored. Um, but ultimately, my problem is less with the documentary itself and more so with the fact that there are so few opportunities to actually have these nuanced conversations about the adult industry on a mainstream platform mm -hmm. that, you know, when you do get the opportunity or when, when somebody else gets the opportunity, you want it to be everything that you have ever wanted to say to people. And that's yeah. just not realistic for one piece of media, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. What do you feel like as you were watching it was among the biggest of things that you were like, oh my God, like this, I just want them to say this. Was it kind of the Facebook thing? I think it was, it was the, um, definitely the Facebook thing of, I really wanted yeah. them to go into, because it's, it's been very well documented, um, how many times more this is an issue on mm -hmm. other non-pornographic platforms. I really want them to go into that. I also kind of, I really wanted the term sex trafficking to be clearly defined in in the context that they were using it mm -hmm. because again um you know mind geek itself was not trafficking sex it was and this is still very awful yeah. posting non-consensual content but right. but that is actually those are two different things and and mm -hmm. should be approached differently um so i would i would have really liked to see more definition in in the terms that people were using um if they wanted to go into sex trafficking specifically there's also a lot of um documentation on on the environments and circumstances where people are vulnerable to that and it's it actually usually has a lot more to do with you know criminalizing immigrants mm -hmm. criminalizing like the types of work that uh people who are claiming refugee status are able to get, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're, if we want to get into sex trafficking, there's a lot to get into there, you know, yeah. that I would have loved yeah. to gotten, get into because it's the same thing where oftentimes the same people are who, same people who are making these arguments against pornography are the same ones that are making the arguments um, against opening borders to refugees against mm -hmm. um, giving more rights in the workplace to um, people who are immigrants or, you know, quote unquote, mm -hmm. illegal immigration, not a right. term I support. But, um, you know, it, it's often these same people where, where I would have loved to, to hear, you know, what Exodus Cry had to say about opening borders, you know, right. when, when actually like many studies have been done to that proves actually giving people workplace rights, giving people universal basic income, giving people all of these like socialist, commie, whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Policy actually creates environments that that prevent sex trafficking as it actually is defined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so interesting because the way that things are the way that things are represented is sort of like so isolated from one another that you can't see the larger picture of like this whole ecosystem that works all together. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, and then it kind of seems sometimes like they're cherry picking little, like picking the sex trafficking part as just a term that's thrown into this whole, like very large, more nuanced conversation. Like it's just sort of, kind of a it's just like a misrepresentation i think right. of what 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 they were actually trying to communicate 
Yeah, I also think, yeah, I, I think it's just really, it's really tricky. I also feel like there are so many things that I, I really wanted to respond to almost mm-hmm. that obviously you can't because it's a television screen. But, <laughs> but even things like at one point somebody says that, you know, porn sites have more of a responsibility to prevent um sexual abuse material than other Mm. platforms which I think is a really really interesting stance that I've heard before and I think really doesn't hold up to further Mm. questioning because it's it's just such a horrific thing uh sexual Mm -hmm. abuse material is so horrifying under any circumstances that the same people who who are like oh it's worse when it's on a porn platform I highly doubt that if asked, they would say it's better when it's not, you know? Right. You know, there's no excuse for it. There's no situation in which this form of sexual abuse material is better than another form of sexual abuse material. And so it should be targeted when it's on Facebook and on Twitter and on Reddit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, And so now Pornhub has introduced a... Part of their platform that's kind of similar to OnlyFans, where you can be like an exclusive creator and people can like sign up to like receive content from specific creators in a similar way, it seems to OnlyFans, which is interesting too. And I think when I've had these conversations with porn performers and I've asked, what's the best way to make sure that the money, like the money that for the service that you are asking for, is going into the hands of the people who made it? The answer a lot of the time is go to our personal clip store, go to our OnlyFans. And I imagine it would be similar in like the kind of clip store of Pornhub too. Well, um, Pornhub's fan club actually was introduced before OnlyFans. Um, So it's been around for quite a while. Yeah. And the clip store, Model Hub, which is actually what I originally got hired on. I was the second Mm -hmm. employee of Model Hub. um, But those uh, no longer function on the site because um, because payment processors because it involved actually paying performers for their work directly, which is no longer possible. So so those are defunct now, unfortunately. That sucks. Yeah, it's so stupid. Yeah, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. And like now, I'm sure they're kicking themselves because OnlyFans is so massive, and they could have had some level of involvement, like the payment processors could have had some level of involvement in like a platform like that. I mean, a I long think time ago, I ha- that's a very complicated question of, of, you know, only fans versus Pornhub. I think that they're yeah. very different brands, mm-hmm. which I think goes into a lot of, you know, only fans success and is how they kind of marketed themselves. Um, yeah. And Pornhub marketed itself very, very differently and also has just way more history as an adult industry platform. So I think mm-hmm. that it's it's complicated, but I do think that it is a it is a real shame that these um actually like functional tools of Pornhub that were taking it in in a better direction mm-hmm. kind of got um nipped in the bud. Yeah, totally. This is sort of unrelated to the conversation we're having now, but I've been thinking this since I said that you were a porn historian. Do you think that porn is crazier now than it ever was? Because I genuinely don't think so. That's such a great question. I just had a journalist in my email asking a really pointed question, trying to just Mm -hmm. get me to say that it is. 
Right. Um, which is not something that I believe. So I did not say that it was because similarly, mm-hmm. I, I do not think that pornography is more wild now than it ever has been. I know at all. I, I think if anything, the opposite. I agree. And I think it's because you like you had to go to a video store. Like, let's say if you were going to buy pornography in like the 60s, you would have to go to a video store, go behind that little curtain and then like browse this whole thing. And then you would have to purchase the tape before you brought it home and watched it. Like there was a level of like the system in place allowed so much privacy. Yeah. And now you can like sort of like scrub a video and see how crazy it is or like someone will upload a clip of it for free somewhere else. I fully believe it was crazier. But I mean, you're the you're a porn story. So you know. I mean, I, I definitely think it I think it depends on how we define crazier also, because, yeah, I think so. My personal um, passion, my niche is mm-hmm. obscenity and like the classification of obscenity. That's what a lot of my writing is about. That's mm-hmm. what my book is about it's what a lot of my art is about and and you know what what gets classified as obscene and what doesn't and um and I find that really interesting in the context of pornography specifically because there's so much of so much pornography so many entire genres of pornography now that are not explicit in any way but it's still Mm -hmm. pornographic and it still often gets classified as obscene because of that even though you know it's something with maybe zero nudity whatsoever but something like you know ballooning or lunars Mm -hmm. as they're called um lunar content often has no nudity no explicit sex yeah but it is pornography um so i really like that kind of thing and and in terms of of kinks and fetishes and and really specific niches i think you know, there's so much more available now mm-hmm. and it's, it's so much, you know, quote unquote crazier to maybe somebody that isn't well-versed in fetish or kink. Um, I think that a hundred percent, you know, you can find pretty much anything for a while. I yeah. had a project, a personal project where I was just trying to figure out, like, I was trying to find like a new genre of yeah. porn. I was trying to find like a new fetish, like try to mm-hmm. make one. Um, yeah. Very difficult. Um, <laughs> so I think in, in that case, there's there's way more available just because the the massive amount of content um, allows people to, to ask for for increasingly specific things. Right. Um, but in terms of of, you know, like plot or like like this journalist that had reached out to me specifically was asking um about aggression and set and stated that pornography huh. now was more aggressive than it's ever been, which I, I completely disagree with where, you know, in- that seems like a backward, like, I, I don't even, how do you even get there? Because we've come like, we've come a little bit, we keep going backwards, but we've come a little bit further in like gender equality sometimes occasionally in some areas. And- <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> I- Today, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so it's weird that 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 is even like a perspective that that journalist would have. I like I wouldn't even I wouldn't even think that way at all. Like, why would why would you think it would be like more aggressive now than it would have been, whatever, fifty years ago? I mean, I think that it's just it's just a lack of of research and understanding yeah. <laughs> of, of pornography of it fifty years ago. Because you yeah, know, if you watch a lot of porn from from that era where very frequently something like 
like rape was a plot point for for comedy mm-hmm. like it was played for laughs you know mm-hmm. where <laughs> like we we've, we've definitely come a little bit since then for sure you know or or you know there is so like it's just not an argument that I that I agree with yeah although I yeah. do agree with with the the fact that there's more fetish content available right now which allows for in some ways some more aggressive pornography because it allows it to go deeper into the fetish and the kink right that I agree with yeah. I also, I love that there's an opportunity for people who want to engage in any sort of like fetish or kink to ask for specific things from creators that they like and get it in like a sort of private one-on-one setting because it mm-hmm. allows them to really like, I think it would allow someone to really explore what they like in um, a really safe and controlled setting. And I love that dynamic. And that's one of the things that I like about I know that OnlyFans obviously does this, but there are other platforms that do this too, where you can have these like, I'm going to request this performer to do exactly this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. OnlyFans is really interesting because it's, I think it's a lot more social and engaged than people Mm -hmm. think. I think people who aren't familiar with the platform think it's just sort of like a feed that people um, upload onto and it's very passive, but it's, it's not at all. It's, it's extremely interactive where, where there's like a DM function and a custom request function. And for me, at least a, a lot of the people that I know, um, on OnlyFans, that's, that's kind of the majority of their income is from custom videos. Do you think that OnlyFans existing has improved the industry or not so much? I don't really um, know why it would. <laughs> I don't, or, yeah. um, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking about how I could make that argument if I the wanted only, to. The only thing I think of is like it because OnlyFans is like sort of a pop culture phenomenon in a lot of ways. It's allowed for people who might not have explored pornography or might not have accepted it. And we're kind of like on the on the you're not going to bring somebody who's like super conservative across the mm-hmm. line because OnlyFans exists, but somebody who might be, have been like on the line, be like, okay, actually this is, this is something that I can get on board with. That's the only way that I can really think of it being really, and it also allows, it allows sex workers to have a little bit more control over their income. Right. I mean, there, there have been a number of platforms like OnlyFans. OnlyFans mm-hmm. is not the first subscription service that was mm-hmm. created by a long shot. Actually, I think it's, it's for me. It's unfortunate that OnlyFans is is the subscription service that took off because um, they, like Pornhub, um, have historically been unwilling to admit that they're a part of the adult industry and take responsibility within that. Um, mm-hmm. Where we saw, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, OnlyFans tried to remove, tried to ban explicit content. Wild. Ridiculous. So, Wild. so I, I think it's it's a shame because there were a lot of platforms that were run by sex workers, um, ex-industry people that mm. kind of got overshadowed by OnlyFans that I think would have done a lot more good in the industry and, and given that opportunity. Uh, but I definitely think that, that OnlyFans pushed pornography more into the mainstream however I'm still waiting to see the dividends from that in legislation and Mm -hmm. um and the livelihoods of sex workers and people in the adult industry and 
pornography, how pornography is treated generally. Yeah. I haven't really seen that translate yet. You know, like I was hoping for that where, you know, everybody in their next door neighbor was making an OnlyFans account. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm looking around to see where they are at the, at the sex worker rights rally and I'm, I'm not seeing them, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't know if you remember or if you, if you were like attuned to this when this happened, but do you remember, do you remember the actress Bella Thorne? Oh yeah. I know exactly what you're going to talk about. Yeah. So like for anyone who doesn't know, Bella Thorne is an actress. She created an OnlyFans, like, I don't know, like a, I think during the pandemic sometime, she advertised her OnlyFans as being something that it absolutely was not. And then I can't remember like how it spun out, but then she ended up, I think like her, her misrepresenting what she was selling there ended up affecting a ton of other people on the platform. So what happened was, I know exactly. Yeah. I know all the details. Tell me, so tell she, me what she happened was. This, she teased this for a long time um, yeah. as like an OnlyFans, which people know as a pornography platform. And she got so many subs that it crashed the site. What she ended up posting was was like not a bathing suits or something. Yeah, it was it was it was not what people were expecting, at least. And then OnlyFans introduced like a ton of policy around um, and and I, I believe introduced like a, a, a cap for like how many subscribers you can get like something like that just really made like it influenced the functionality of the site and and she didn't right. end up even actually posting anything and um right. and it just frustrated a lot of people in the industry but that's actually not her first offense <laughs> offense in my eyes because she also and I don't think people really know about this but she directed a Pornhub feature um so Pornhub <laughs> did this yeah Pornhub does this thing where they like bring in celebrities to direct up short porn film Brooke Candy did it um okay. I think Young M.A. um and and Bella Thorne did one as well and I remember Bella Thorne directed this whatever Pornhub paid her a ton of money and then at the Pornhub Awards she came on stage and then clearly her agent or something had told her that like maybe Pornhub isn't like great for her brand mm-hmm. uh, because of the moderation issue, which is, had sort of been stewing. And so she came on stage and was like, um, I just want to say that like, I am making it my like personal responsibility to work on with Pornhub and help them improve their moderation, which is a complete lie. <laughs> a complete lie. Actually a lie. That's an insane thing to say. Yes, and and then and then we never heard from her again. Um, <gasps> I was like an employee at that point, um, and I was in the oh audience for my this. God. Um, and it was just like so annoying to me personally. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, okay, so you'll take the money, you'll take mm-hmm. the clout, um, but you're mm-hmm. gonna lie to everybody saying you're helping helping them work on their monitor. Which first of all, like why? What authority does what? Bella Thorne have? Right. Like, why would that be her mission specifically? And I, also, I'm like, so okay, wild. babe, like, if you want to do that, see you next Monday. Right. My cubicle's in the right. back. You can sit next to me. <laughs> you know? Where it was just very, very frustrating, where it seems like Bella Thorne loves to take what she wants from the adult industry, but not kind of 
have any responsibility for that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very frustrating because I was a fan, I will say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a lot of internet people, not so much like actresses, I don't think, but a lot of like internet people sort of like, like not so much like influencers. There's one person that I'm thinking of specifically who's a, who was a YouTuber who now has an OnlyFans and makes something like $300,000 a month from her OnlyFans and doesn't post anything really sexually explicit, which I guess, I mean, like part of me is like, People are people are subscribing and so whatever, like it's the money that she's yeah. she's earning. But it's hard to see somebody who already has like a giant flow of income from a million other sources go on a platform like that and then like misrepresent what she's doing there and then sort of it feels like you're taking away from other people on that platform who have like kind of paid their dues to be there. Like this is their life's work and this is what they love to do. I, I just can't really like, look at it that way, but I I feel personally like I I think that people can post whatever they want on OnlyFans and if they can make money off of that, like power to them. But for me, yeah. if if you're somebody who has an immense amount of privilege, who's coming into the industry, and I'm saying this as somebody who's in this industry with an immense amount of privilege, where I mm-hmm. am, you know, I'm a writer, like I've I'm not a performer, I'm not a sex worker. I'm somebody that works, you know, behind the scenes that carries so much privilege. And for me, you need to use that privilege to actually be fighting for the rights of the people that are actually like making this industry profitable, you know, you have to do that or you have to at least um, pay respects to to the people who you know, you're basing your work off of and, and right. say thank you. And, and that's what I have a problem with is, is the inability to like actually involve themselves in, in the dirt of this industry. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, if you're going to treat dirty. it like, yeah, if you're going to treat it like the money grab, at least help with your like massive influence, at least help the rest of the industry exactly. that you're grabbing all the money from. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, say thank you to the sex workers that are are keeping this platform afloat mm-hmm. that you make $300,000 off of. You know, it's that's just my opinion as someone who also holds immense privilege within the industry. How would you say people who are listening to this podcast and want to be um, advocating for sex workers and for their rights, how would you say is the best way to do that? Because it's sort of an overwhelming task. It feels like we all need to do it so that, what's the phrase that's like, when the tide rises, all the boats go up, whatever that is. It feels like it has to be, it has to be more people because it's so hard to have these people be like banned from their, from their personal platforms. And like anybody who's talking about the legislation is at risk of getting banned from the platforms too. I definitely think that in terms of, you know, how to support sex workers, you should listen to sex workers. Number one, I know you have. Yeah episodes with talking to sex workers. So I definitely think that their opinions on that hold a lot more weight than mine do. But I think, I think just, and this will be an echo of, you know, what any sex worker will tell you, but, you know, pay sex workers. Like if you are consuming pornography, you better be paying for it at this, at this point, there's too much conversation not to be doing that. Um, Yeah. You know, actually getting involved and like following 
the people who are making this content beyond the scope of the two minute video that you may watch, like actually taking Mm -hmm. an interest in their lives and like what's affecting them and actually like reading about SESTA-FOSTA because, you know, as sex workers will tell you over and over again, sex work is, and the adult industry is the canary in the coal mine, but SESTA-FOSTA is affecting all of us. So Mm -hmm. it's good practice to read up on it and actually, you know, like, like, show up have these conversations with your family um show up to rallies you know there's mm-hmm. there we've been protesting this within the industry for for years you, you mm-hmm. and everybody's welcome to join yeah yeah i agree and i i hope that everyone really takes that to heart pay for pay for your porn it's really like there are so many ways to do it now that it, there and there's so many like you said conversations around it like there's really no excuse anymore yeah do you have any favorite places that you like any platforms that are favorites for you? My favorite porn site is Crashpad. I've never heard of Crashpad. Oh my gosh, it's an incredible um very queer porn site. It's a series. It's a it's Crashpad series and it's been going on for quite a while and it's really cool. A series. It's yeah, created by Shine Louise Houston who's just an icon in the industry. Um, I can't recommend it high enough. And then um, they're under the label Pink Label TV mm-hmm. that hosts an incredible amount of performers and directors and content. Um, it's really cool. I'm, I'm happy to send you some links. Please send them to me. We can even put them in like the bio too. So anybody can like just click through and find ways to Perfect. Um, engage with it. So it, wait, is Crashpad the series? Is it like a storyline that's being carried through? It's more like, so the, the premise is that there's this apartment that okay. like people get a key to and then uh-huh. you're kind of like the voyeur to what happens in the apartment. That's fun. Oh, it's so incredible. I really can't recommend it enough. It's it is my absolute favorite. That sounds very fun. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to be doing some um, incognito uh, browsing after Please do. this. Please do. <laughs> okay, so normally I ask people what their like biggest dating advice would be, mm-hmm. um, and you're welcome to give that as your sort of wrap up here. But I also feel like it'd be really interesting to know what your favorite um, porn plot line that you've ever written would be. <gasps> okay, so when I was writing scripts. Mm-hmm. Specifically, when I was writing parody scripts, I had a dream of being <laughs> the world's most prolific Food Network porn parody scriptwriter. Oh my god, <laughs> that was That's amazing! My dream, and yeah. uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite scene that I ever wrote, although it was never produced, was um, diners, drive-throughs, and dicks. Oh my god. Gorgeous. Yes. Although I did Gorgeous. write one called Come Throat Kitchen that did get produced. <laughs> I don't know if it's still up on browsers, but that was made. That is so good. That is so good. It's Cutthroat Kitchen, but it's Come okay. Throat Kitchen. Come Throat Kitchen. A little ham-fisted, okay. but you know, I was I was working on a tight turnaround. So <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. That's amazing. Um, okay, great. I'm so excited to have you on here. You are so knowledgeable and I appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure it's been like a crazy whirlwind since um, since Money Shot came out. So it was very nice of you to come and chat with me. And I'm so appreciative of the work that you do. Like it's it's hard to be a, a person in this space and feel like you're doing enough because there's just a lot that goes on. And I, I'm just very 
thankful for people like you in in it. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. It's been lovely chatting. Anytime. 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 so much for listening as a reminder we are always accepting questions about sex ed about relationships life advice we will accept it all we would love to hear from you so send us an email to alissa explains it all pod at gmail.com <laughs> <laughs>